Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody awake? There it is. It is a very big privilege of mine uh, to be preaching to you today and to be giving you the word. I'm already missing Pastor Wayne. (laughs) Just that little video right there gave me a lot of encouragement. So everybody doing fine this this, uh, nice cold morning? So I wanted to, uh, today I wanted to speak about something that Pastor Wayne has been uh, focusing on for the past few weeks now, if you've been here. And it's just about us being one, being in unity, prayer and fasting, and us just being together. And I wanted to emphasize that while he's away this morning. So today, I wanted to name uh, the title of my sermon, uh, Praying Without Ceasing. And I'm pretty sure we all know the importance of, of what that is, to what it means to pray without ceasing. Um, Whatever it is that you have on your mind, whatever it is that you are praying for, you are continuously on your knees, you are continuously seeing and seeking the face of God. You're asking him to reveal what it is uh, that he has to reveal to you. You're asking him whatever it is, the desires of your heart, whether it is a breakthrough, whether it is help in a time of need, whether it is I need to find my way, you have to continuously do that. You have to seek his face. You have to pray without ceasing. So why I wanted to focus, it, focus on that is because it is such, a, such an important topic that I feel sometimes it goes overlooked because of the busyness of life. We all have jobs. We all have something to do. And praying, it, it, sometimes it can take time. Sometimes it could take a little while. Uh, sometimes we don't prioritize it. Sometimes we put things over it and then we just forget to pray. And it's like, you know, I'll just pray later. I'll read my Bible later. And then later comes and like, okay, I'll do it later. And I'm sure we've all been in that loop at some point in our life. But there is a very big importance in praying without ceasing. Not just by yourself, but also in unity with others. So, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? One, it means to be in constant communication with God. Regardless of whether the situation is good or bad, you are in constant communication with him. You are continuously letting him know what it is that's on your heart, what it is you're feeling, what it is you're thinking. Be honest with him because he's not a robot. He is a loving father that wants to know what it is you're feeling. At times, some of us could even be angry at God. Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? Why is this happening to me or my family? What is going on? Why am I not finding or seeing my way? And naturally, sometimes you might find yourself angry at God. What is going on? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Be honest with him. Express how you feel. He's a loving and patient God, and he will answer you. Number two, praying uh, without ceasing, it means to have a bold face in seeking God. It means that you are believing that he will see you through 
to the end. When you continuously pray, when you continuously seek his face, you are showing that you would rather put all of your trust, all of your faith in him rather than you go out and try and fix your solution, or try and fix your situation on your own, which is the way to go. You have to put it all on him. You're demonstrating that you cannot do this without him. And number three, praying without ceasing, it means you know that the battle is in his hands, that you need to depend on him alone and not on your own understanding. The song we just sang this morning, uh, The Battle Belongs to You, that, that is self-explanatory. The battle belongs to him. There is nothing that we can do on our own. We just can't. And if it's up to our own vices, if it was up to our own abilities, we would find ourselves even in a lower position than we already are in, in our situation. But we have to come back to him. We have to continuously pray. We have to seek his face that he will give us the answers that we need, that he will open our eyes. He will open our, our spiritual eyes to see what problems we may be having, what strongholds may be in our life, what needs to be removed, and what needs to be brought in. And he will do that. So, why did I choose this topic? So, Pastor Wayne has been focusing on, on this kind of topic for the past few weeks now. Um, just two Saturdays ago, he started his prayer and fasting on Saturdays. I was there on the first one, and it was wonderful. I was, it was really wonderful. There was, there was a, a few of us. There was a good amount of us. And it was a great time. Uh, we just came in. We just had a little bit of worship. And we were just praying all in one accord. There was probably 10 of us, I would say, about 10 of us. But the atmosphere, it felt like it was a full building. And there's a beauty and there's a power in being able to pray together in one accord. We had our board over here where you can just write down our prayer requests that day. And we just wrote down everything that we had on our hearts, everything we wanted to pray for together. And people walked up. They wrote it down what's on their heart to pray for. We left the mic there for anyone that wants to come up and pray. And then just one by one, everyone came up. They started praying over those topics. And it was something beautiful about us agreeing together on what it is we're praying for. We're agreeing that we want to be closer in God. We want to deepen our relationship with him. And when we're all on that same page, the prayer is just so much bigger. There's so much more power to it. There is that saying, I think Pastor Wayne had said it a week ago or so, how you're in a dark room and you have a candle. You have one candle. It'll give you a little bit of light. You add another candle. It'll give you a little bit more light. And then you start lighting up more candles in that room. And just like that, you illuminate the room. And I like to think of prayer in that way, where you have this blank space and you're here praying. Now, that is amazing. You should always be praying. You add another in. You add another and you add another and you add another. You have 10 of you praying now in the same topic and you guys are just lighting up the room and you just continue. It's the same thing uh, of when you're just going out into the world in your everyday lives. Each and every one of you, you're the salt and the light of this earth. Amen? That's right. And this is my prayer for, for all of you every week, every staff meeting we have. My prayer for you guys every week is that God covers you, that he protects you, he blesses you throughout your week, he gives you strength, and that 
uh, you guys, no matter where you go, whether it is work, the grocery store, wherever it is in your busy days, that you continue to remember that you are ambassadors for Christ. That in all that you do, in every conversation you have, um, any meeting that you have with anyone, that they can see Christ through you. That is always my prayer for you. And just like that, being the salt and the light of the earth, whatever room that you step in, it takes that same candle analogy. You light up a room. And when there's more of you, you really light up a room. So I want to talk about seeking God. Matthew 6, uh, verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, all his righteousness shall be added unto you. No matter what problem you have and no matter what situation you have, seek first his kingdom earnestly. That means to come to him in humility, surrendering all. Come to him and all will be added. He will give you those answers you're looking for. He's going to reveal to you what it is that you need to know. And sometimes, probably most times, you're not going to get the answer that you want. But it is the answer that you need. And that is exactly what we need. So the importance of seeking God's face. When you seek his face, you're demonstrating that you understand that you need him in the midst of your situation. Kind of like how a baby or a child, when they get hurt, they fall down, they stumble. They need their parents more than anything. They're going to cry and they're going to cry and cry and cry. And they are not going to stop until their parent comes picks them up, tells them it's okay, and comforts them. And in those same situations, we're his children. We need him more than ever. We have to cry out to him. We have to express to him that we need you, God, more than ever. When you're seeking his face, you allow him the space to work in your life. You allow him to be the center. You give him space to work. Sometimes we're asking God to help us with this, help us with that, help us with that. But then we don't give him enough time of day to really help us out. I'm going to give you like five or ten minutes. I'm going to give you five or ten minutes of my prayer time and then I got to get back to work. I got to get back to this. I got to go, go, go shopping. There's that new show on Netflix. I got to get back to that. But I'll give you ten minutes. I'm going to pray for ten minutes and I'm going to let you work with that. But we need to give him more time to work on our situations. We have, to give, we have to show that he's a priority in our life. We have to keep him at the top, keep him at the center. We have to make sure he has the space to work with us. So an example from uh, Daniel 6, uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 7 to 10. Um, that's an, an example of him seeking God. This was um, in a time where uh, King Darius was uh, reigning over Babylon at the time. So I'm going to read through it. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an, an ordinance and enforce an injunction. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So essentially, Daniel, he's continuously praying to God, and everybody knows that, that he only serves our Lord and Savior. And the people there did not like that. 
they're not worship, he's not worshiping the king. He's not giving glory to the king. Everyone else is giving glory to that king. But he's giving glory to him. And they did not like that. So they wanted to conspire and make up a rule that whoever praises uh, anything or anybody else but King Darius at that time, they'll be tossed into the lion's den. Now, that is a very scary, that is a very hard thing to deal with. Now, naturally, the human man, when you're facing that kind of situation, in your heart, I want to continue serving you, but now I have death facing me in the face. And what do I do? Of course I want to serve you, but now if I'm publicly seen serving you, I'm getting tossed into a lion's den. Now more than ever is when you need to seek God's face for revelation. Now more than ever is when you need to seek God's face for help. Because this is a time of distress. So now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber. So he made sure everybody, he made sure the entire kingdom is going to see him. Praise God. So he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God, as he had always done previously. In the midst of a tough situation like that, where death is looking at you right in the face, he could have complained. He could have said, God, why me? Why is this happening to me? I serve you. Why is this happening to me? He could have complained. He could have had every reason to be angry at God. Instead, he chose another way to react to a situation, was to get back down on his knees, pray three times a day, and give thanks in his situation. With that said, there's an importance in that little, in that last verse there, where he prayed and he gave thanks before his God. There's an importance of how you respond to circumstances. Everybody is gonna go through circumstances in their life, whether it's financial, emotional, mental, physical, um, you name it, social, Everyone is going to have circumstances in their life. And you can't control that. What you can control is your output and how you react to it, how you want to respond to it. You can always respond negatively, how you feel, or you can take the high road and you can respond the way that you should. 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. It says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. In every circumstance, as tough as it is, you may not even believe it right now. But you have to have that kind of faith. You have to have that David kind of faith. You have to have that Daniel kind of faith. That no matter the circumstance, I'm going to give you thanks for it. I just lost my car. I didn't lose my car. I'm just saying (laughs) hypothetically. I just lost my car. I don't know what is happening right now, but I'm going to give you thanks because with this door closed, there's going to be another door opened. Amen? I lost my job. 
Okay. I need the money right now, too, and I just lost my job. Okay. That's a door closed. I'm going to take time. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to figure it out. That door closed means, okay, well, I have more time to go and pray to you, Father God. I have more time to seek your face, and you're going to open up another better door for me. Just changing how you think about your situation, just thinking about how you, or just changing how you want to respond to a situation makes all the difference. Easily I can be like, why did I lose my car? How am I going to get here and there? What do I do? I just lost my house. I just lost my job. What do I do? Why, why is this happening to me? Me personally, I have a problem with tickets <laughs> from the police. <laughs> and naturally, I, well, I think BJ passed away and he, he knows this because I've, I've um, complained to him about that. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I have problems with tickets. I promise I do not speed. I promise I don't do any of that. But they just find me. They just find me. And at this point, it is just very, I, I, just, I just can't help but laugh at this point. Because to me, it's ridiculous. But I'm like, you know what? It's life. God is testing me. He's really testing me. And I'm like, you know what? It is okay. It's fine. It's okay. It is what it is. I got problems with tickets. Yes. <laughs> so much so, I'm not going to go into too much detail. My insurance is like through the roof right now. I have every reason to be like, why am I even driving right now, first of all? <laughs> I have every reason to be like, why am I in this situation? I know I'm a good driver. I'm not going to say I'm the best driver, but I know I follow the rules. I don't go that much above the speed limit. <laughs> not that much. I follow the traffic laws. I pay attention to everybody else more than myself. I do that, I do every precaution to stay safe. And why is it that I, going uh, 10 kilometers over the speed limit, I see someone else go 20, nothing. I pass by going 10, they pop out of nowhere. <laughs> Where were they? I don't know, but I think God strategically planted them there <laughs> for me. It's frustrating. It really is. Lord knows how frustrated I am. <laughs> but he is there with me in the midst of it all. Of course, you have to use wisdom in all of that. I did not use wisdom. I did not apply it early on. So every time I got a ticket, I'm just like, okay, I'll just go pay it. And every time I paid it, I basically admitted to the, uh, the law that I broke. Thus, my insurance going up there. Now I have to apply wisdom. Learn to fight the battles. Learn to actually fight your tickets. <laughs> Learn that you can actually go take it to court and fight it. In that sense, I always kind of took it upon my own understanding, and I'm like, okay, I'll just pay it, get it over with, not applying wisdom. I'll just get it over with, and that's that, not knowing I'm affecting my, um, my record and my insurance. Instead of just taking time to seek God, to seek his face, pray to him on what to do and actually read the back of the ticket <laughs> and see that I have options. I should have done that. 
Rather, I just weighed in on my own understanding what I thought was right. I paid it, and now I'm paying the price. Now, in all of those circumstances, I get pulled over. I'm as quiet as a whistle. You ask me the questions, I'm going to answer like it's nothing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You just made my day even better. Thank you very much. Have a great day, officer. Even if I don't believe it, I'm just going to push that out. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to give thanks in every situation. As simple as when you're driving to a location and you make a wrong turn or you continuously keep making wrong turns. That's something my mom always tells me. For whatever reason, we just miss this easy turn. God is probably keeping us away from something that we was not supposed to see on that right path. Philippians 4 uh, verse, uh, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In every situation, be thankful. Things could have been much worse. In all those situations where I did get those tickets, for whatever reason, I probably could have lost my car. But I still have it. I'm able to get here uh, safely every week. I'm able to do what I need to do, able to lead worship with you guys, able to see you guys. I'm able to do that every week, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful in the midst of all of that. And even financially with my job, I make just enough but not enough to, to I guess, live the life I want to live. I don't want to live that kind of life, but I live a very standard life, I'd say. But it's just enough to get by. And I'm still thankful in the little that I get, God is able to multiply it and make more use out of it. And I'm able to accomplish the things I need to do with the little that I get. And I always give him thanks for that. I always give it back to him. No matter the situation, give thanks because it could always be much more worse. So with that said, I kind of want to focus on somebody um, that we could say probably needed a lot of prayer <laughs> during his time. I want to talk about Job. And I'm sure we all know about Job and uh, the life he had and the situation he had to go through. So I'm going to build a little bit of uh, Job's character, explain who he is. Job was a blameless and upright man. He had reverence for God. He was a God-fearing man. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. He had 500 yoke of oxen. He had 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. Essentially, he was rich. <laughs> and he had a very good life. He had a fruitful life. He had many kids. And he had a good life. He had every reason to be thankful to God. Now... Sometimes God wants to test us, which will happen in each of our lives. He's going to test each of us differently. Some of us, it would be a lot easier than some other people. Me, um, I would honestly say I guess I got the easier testings than a lot of people, I, I must say. Just drive safer. That's it. <laughs> Just drive safer. That, that's it. Job, he got a lot 
There was a lot. So let me go through what had happened. He was a great man in the eyes of God. He couldn't do no wrong. He served them. He was great. And then one day, Satan came up to God asking about uh, Job, asking about God's servant Job, saying how surely if this man went through any kind of troubles and he went through any kind of trials, he wouldn't give thanks to you. He wouldn't proclaim your name. Surely he would curse you. And the Lord knew Job's heart. He knew who Job was. He knew that he would not give up on him no matter the situation. Thus, he allowed Satan to test him. Father, I pray that you do not allow anything like that <laughs> to test me or anybody here. I bind that in Jesus' name. Amen. I do not want that kind of testing, but let your will be done. <laughs> so God allowed Satan to go and test his servant Job because God knew what Job can do. Oh, God bless Job. <laughs> so now I'm going to read from Job uh, chapter 1, verse 13 to 20. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking uh, wine um, in their oldest brother's house. Then there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the serpents for the edge of their sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Just like that, he lost a lot of his animals. So his wealth that is being targeted, that's going down now. His wealth is being targeted. Only one person was able to come out and give him the news. So while he was speaking, telling, while that one servant was speaking, telling him about the bad news, another one comes. There came another. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. The, the sheep. To me, it sounds like Job was just having the worst day ever, all in that one day. You just lost your wealth. Well, you're losing your wealth. For whatever reason, God decided to send down fire from heaven <laughs> to burn up your sheep. You're, you're facing a very big spiritual attack right now. And the servants, uh, the fire came and the servants were consumed by them. And only that one servant was able to come back and give him the news. That's two servants now that came bearing bad news. While that second servant was speaking, another one comes. The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of their sword. And only I alone have escaped to tell you. That's three servants now that have come bearing bad news. Job slowly is just, well, not even slowly, but very quickly, is losing everything. And while that third servant was talking, of course, another one comes. That's four now. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people, and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You just lost your sheep. You lost your animals. You lost your camels. That's money. You just lost your kids. And you can only imagine what's going through his mind. 
all this news all at once is enough to make anybody go mad, like instantly. You, you'll go mad instantly. Imagine having your bank account just drained. That's one thing to think about. Imagine losing your family members the same time. That's another thing, thing to think about. People around you getting sick. You're not able to help them in any way. That's another thing to think about. You're getting attacked from every quarter in every single way. It's enough to drive anybody insane. So there was only, well, there's two ways that Job could have responded to all of that. He could have very easily just got down and said, God, why me? What did I do? Am I not blameless before you? Am I not a good person? Am I not an outstanding person in your eyes? Instead, he decided to respond. So, then Job arose and he tore his robe. He shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. He didn't blame him. In that kind of situation, he did not blame him, which is amazing. In all of our situations, like I said earlier, you might be feeling frustrated at God. You might be feeling some kind of way about what you're going through. You have frustrations. God has given you emotions. You feel them. You use them. You choose how you use them. And God is a very personal God. He wants communication with you. He wants a relationship with you. So talk to him on a personal level. Tell him exactly what it is that you are feeling. So in that sense, Job did that. He still gave thanks, but Job did weep. He really wept. Now, in our time of praying in situations like this, it's important that we have to stay focused. Focus in on what it is we're praying about. Get help. Get people that can pray with you in these situations. If I'm struggling with something, get people that I know can pray with me earnestly and help me out. And unfortunately for Job, he did not have a supportive enough wife that can help him in that situation. Rather than her getting on her knees and joining him in prayer, asking God, help us, deliver us from all of this. She's saying, why, doesn't, why don't you just curse God? Because he gave you all of this. He brought this onto you. Why, why would you give thanks to him? Why would you pray to him? In, <laughs> in those moments of prayer, in those moments of seeking God's face, there's always going to be distractions that come with it. Either... There's going to be people that are naysayers, that are just not helping the situation. They're not helping you. They're just telling you do otherwise. While you're actively trying to seek God, they're saying, no, do your own thing. Go focus. Go, go, go actually work towards it. Go to your own understanding. They're not there helping you. So you'll have people that will distract you. You'll have life distracting you. What you should be doing right now is praying, but... I got to think about getting back to work. I got to think about doing this. I got to cook later. I got to go out here. This person needs me. That person needs me. And it's so easy to brush your own affairs to the side when you should be focusing on that. 
It's so easy to be distracted by just your own thoughts. <laughs> you're just praying. You're trying to, you're thinking about your situation. You're lifting it up to God. And then all of a sudden, you're just thinking, I'm like, wait, what am I going to eat later? What am I going to do later? And then easily get distracted. You're in your word. You're, you're reading. You're trying to receive what God wants to give to you. You start falling asleep. <laughs> all these little distractions add up, keeping you away from seeking God's face, keeping you away from deepening your relationship with him. And in Job's case, he had those distractions. He had three friends that were trying to help him. And they did a very good job at first. They were very supportive in the beginning. They came to his aid. They were by his side. They even cried with him. And we all need that. Nobody wants to go through a situation alone. You need people in your corner to be with you. This is why we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to carry one another's burdens. If somebody is going through something, you don't just allow them to go through it and be like, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. But be with them. Support them how you can. Check up on them. Call them. Go see them. Give them a hug. Bring them some food if they need. Help them in any way you can because we need each other. No one can do it alone. So Job had those three, th those three friends that were there to help him. They were even questioning God. Why would you allow Job to go through this? What, what did Job do to go through this? But after a while, that support wasn't there. They wasn't seeing eye to eye, Job and his friends. Where Job went wrong was where he was believing because of how he is and who he is that he's such a good person that I serve you. Why, why is this happening to me? In that sense, your pride can easily get in the way. Once you start to think, I'm too good to go through this, the, the deeds that I do are too good that I'm immune to going through trials, is when we lost the lesson. God never promised that when you take up your mantle and you become an ambassador for him, that life becomes easier. He never promised that. He never promised that you're not going to go through persecution or trials or hard times. We're still human like everybody else. And we're going to go through the same things like everybody else. But we respond differently. God never promised an easy time. And in that sense, Job thought, because I'm such an outstanding servant, because I love you so much, why am I going through this? This is not for me. So Job, he acknowledged the situation. He acknowledged that I'm going through things right now. If we look at Job chapter 3, 1 to 6, this is after Job got all the news of everything, and he's really soaking it all in. After this, Job opened his mouth, and he cursed the day of his birth. Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is and the night that said a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it, let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. 
Job really took in, took in his situation and he just cursed the day that he was born. Why am I even here? <laughs> I've never, thank God, I, I give thanks. I've never had any reason to feel that way. Why am I even here? I've never had to question him. Why would you bring me here? I give thanks that he's just never put me in a situation like that. And it is something to be thankful for when you're not in those situations. I've learned to really appreciate life and the fact that you wake up every morning, the fact that you wake up every day, that you're able to wake up, you can breathe freely, you can see, you can hear, you can move your limbs, giving thanks in those little things every day. There's people my age that are not able to do that. There's some people my age or even younger that are just not born into those simple situations of being able to have vision, have hearing, have smell, taste, being able to move their limbs. Some people are just not born into that. Some people are just born into places where there's just war, where there's famine, where there's things going on. They didn't ask for it, but they're just born into it. And even in those situations, they find ways to be thankful. How much more thankful could I be that I'm able-bodied? I have a job. I have a church that I can come to freely. We can come to church freely and give God worship. We're not going to be persecuted for this. We can come here freely anytime we want. And nobody can stop us. That's a privilege. Many places in the world you cannot do. Just doing this is your life. Some people have to go underground for this, and we just get it. There's so much to be thankful for. So looking at Job 3, uh, sorry, Job 32 uh, from 1 to 3, I'm going to fast forward a bit. So Job and his friends, they're going back and forth. His friends are giving him reasons of, why would God do this to you? Surely God is just. God wouldn't do this to you. He would do this to those that deserve it. He would, give, he would do that to, to those that do not serve him, those that are, are not good civilians. But you're an upright man, so why would this happen to you? Surely, this is something that you need to repent about. Surely, maybe there's something that you need to change. You need to change your ways in some way. There's something. But Job could not get out of that thinking that, no. I was blameless and I was upright. I don't know why this is happening to me, but it's happening. And they just could not agree. They could not see eye to eye, Job and his friends. So we're going to introduce another character into the story. His name is Elihu. So Job 32, verse 1 to 3. So these three men ceased to answer Job, Job, uh, his friends. Because Job was righteous in his own eyes, There's that pride coming out again. Then Elihu, the son of uh, Barakil, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, he burned with anger. We have this third party, Elihu. He's coming and he's seeing the situation of Job and his friends. And they are not properly talking. They're not properly teaching him that, Job, your thinking is not right in this situation. You have to come to God in humility, not thinking that you're above your trials, not thinking that you're above your situations, but you have to show that you need him. Instead, you're thinking, I should not be in this because I never did wrong. So Elihu was mad about that. 
he burned with anger at Job because Job justified himself rather than justifying God. Rather than saying, God, you're wonderful, you're merciful, thank you in these situations. Thank you that I'm still alive for whatever reason I'm going through this, but you're still keeping me for a reason. Thank you. Rather than saying, thank you, he's saying, but what did I do? Am I the problem? What did I do? Well, what, what, what is so wrong that I did that I have to go through this? And he tries to justify himself rather than lift up the Lord. So he burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He also burned with anger at Job's three friends because they found no answer of how to speak to Job and talk sense to him. Although they did declare that Job was wrong, although they had declared Job to be wrong, Job was not seeing it in his eyes. So Elihu, he decides to speak to Job. Elihu is a younger guy. Job is older than him. In, in life, uh, I guess for us young, not even us young people, but just anyone younger, we all have our own ideas. We have our own solutions. And we want to give advice where advice is needed. And then sometimes we have to give advice to people older than us. And we just feel like, nope, they're older, they're more experienced. We can't give them any advice. They're not going to listen to us anyways. Come to them humbly. Come to people humbly. And Elihu knew that. That it's not, it's not age that, that um, distinguishes whether you're wise or not. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, he'll give you the words. If you have the Holy Spirit flowing through you, you'll know exactly what to say. The Holy Spirit can use anybody from seven years old to 70 years old. If he's with you, you can speak wisdom to anybody. So Elihu, he had to get over that thought that, okay, Job is older than me. How do I give him advice? I'm just going to give him advice. So Job 33, 8 to 12, this is Elihu speaking to Job. Surely you have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words, Job. You say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean, and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. So, Right now, Elihu is talking to Job, and he's just being completely straight up, and he's being real with him. He's being honest. Job, you are not right in your thinking. You are not above your trials. You are not above any of that. You need to see God's face right now. And your friends, they were not able to help you, but I'm going to help you get out of this. And that's what we need in our corner sometimes. When we're in prayer, sometimes our mind is not in the right place. Sometimes we could be thinking, why am I going through this? Why me? What did I do? And sometimes we need somebody beside us to hold us accountable. This is why there's so much power in praying together when one or two are gathered. There's something powerful about it. When you tackle it by yourself, while it is still very possible to make your requests known to God and he can still very much answer you, sometimes you need somebody beside you to help you. So Elihu, he's he spoken to Job. He's telling him the error of his ways. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you 
for God is greater than man. So this is Elihu still speaking to Job. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way. Why do you think God speaks in just one way? And in two, though man does not perceive it. God speaks to us differently, and he's going to reveal those answers to us differently. As we look through it, God can speak to us in a dream, in a vision of the night, when we're in deep sleep, while we're slumbering, when he opens the ears of men and he terrifies them with warnings. When he give, God will give you a warning, that is one way he's speaking to you. He can speak to you through a dream. He can speak to you through people. He can speak to you in many ways. He'll just speak to you. It's not just one way. And Job thought that the answer that he was looking for was just one way. The answer is there all along, but Job is not seeing it because he's only thinking God can speak to him in just this one way. God speaks to you in many ways. So, Job 33, 13 to 18, he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life perishing from the sword. In many ways, the Lord, he's speaking to you, keeping you, just in the simple things of like just keeping you safe from violence. In the sense that he'll tell you not to go here because there, there's, something, there's something there for you. Go here instead. He speaks to you in many different ways. Some of it may not be clear. Let's say, for example, financially. We're going to just pray. We're just praying financially. We need help. This is a problem that we're struggling with. For whatever reason, we cannot save money. We're just always empty. God can easily speak to you through a friend that's going to be like, okay, why don't you do this, 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 go in this kind of order, and be like, well, no, 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 that doesn't work for me because I have to do this, I got to do that, I have this, I like to have my little, my little stuff on the side as well because I have to treat myself. You have people giving you advice, sound advice, you don't take it, but then you go back and praying, God, what do I do? I need help. Another person can come in like, okay. Let's pray together and let's try this. This is what you need to do. And you're just not seeing it. Like, well, you know what? I do, I, I do do that. I make sure I'm a good person. I make sure that I pray every day. I read my Bible. I don't curse nobody. I don't do any of this. I don't do that and that and that. I'm a good person. So I just don't see why this is happening to me. You just ignore the advice that they give you. Go back in your own ways. God, what do I do? Give me a sign. Send somebody to talk to me. Give me a sign. And God will send people in your life that can help you. But you have to change how you think. You have to change how you respond to situations. So in the midst of all this, Elihu, he speaks to Job. He tells him everything as it is. He gives him sound advice. He tells him that, Job, no, I'm not going to butter you up or coddle to you. You are wrong in your thinking. You got to change how you think. In all of this, the Lord speaks to Job, finally. The Lord said to Job, if we're looking at Job 40, 1 to 8, the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? As a man, who am I to say that God is wrong? Who am I to say that God made a mistake? 
or that, God, you don't know what you're doing in this situation. I don't know why I'm going through it, but I shouldn't be going through it. Who am I to say that he made a mistake in what I'm in? Let him who accuses God answer him. So Job answered God, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say you no more. So the Lord spoke to Job again. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. So God, he's, he's, he's going to, just like Elihu, God is going to talk to Job, tell him everything straight up, tell him everything seriously. So he talks to him. He tells him exactly what it is. He tells him, essentially, he reminds Job that at the end of the day, you are still man. You were not here when I created the foundations of this earth. You were not here when I created the inhabitants of this earth. When I placed every star in the place that they are in, when I named every star, when I, when I placed every, gran, every grain of sand on the earth, you weren't there. Every hair on, on, on your head I can pluck and I can count. You can't do that. You're just man. And he has to speak sense into Job because Job is thinking he's above his situation. He's saying, God, why am I in this? How can you question me, the author of all, say that I'm wrong and think that I don't know how I'm going to get you through this situation when I know exactly what I'm doing? I know you can get out of it. I know you because you're my child. Right now you're stumbling and you lost your way. I'm going to help you find it. And that's what we need. So the Lord speaks to Job. He, speak, he tells him how he's wrong and how he processes the situation. Job believes that he's done so much good that he's above his situation. Eventually, Job receives God's message that he's given to him. Job processes his words and he allows it to sink in. He has to remember that at the end of the day, I am still man. None can contend to Jesus. We're going to always have questions for God, and I'm not saying it's not okay to have questions for God. Like I said, talk to him because he's a personal God. Talk to him. But never believe that I'm too good or I'm too high up that I can't go through this. Never place yourself on a pedestal that I'm above going through situations. Because who is Job compared to you? He was just another person. Who is Job compared to his friends? They're still man. Even in that sense, Job put himself on a pedestal to his friends, saying, I shouldn't have gone through this. In a sense, he's saying, maybe they can go through it, but I shouldn't go through it because I'm the good one. We have to come to God. When we're coming to him in prayer, we have to come with humility. We have to come to him earnestly and honestly. We have to come to him fully surrendered. This is why we get on our knees when we pray. We have to lay it all down for him. So eventually Job does receive God's message. Now that he's received the understanding of what God was saying to him, he was able to see where he went wrong. He took time to reflect 
he had to understand that one, God is in control of everything. Yes, God gives and he takes away. And in this situation, God allowed Job to go through this situation. He allowed it to happen. Not because he doesn't love him, but it's a test. We're all going to go through tests. So Job had to learn that God, he's in control of everything. That two, he can do all things. As easily as he took away everything from Job, he can easily restore it. Easily. He had to realize that whatever door God opens, no man can close. And vice versa. No, whatever door that God closes, no man will ever open. No matter how hard they try, no matter how many people they get, you're not going to open that door if God closes it. So it's then when Job receives all that understanding. It's, it's then that he got the message. That's when the Lord restored everything back to him. Everything was restored twofold. So when I go, he gets everything restored back to him. So when we go to Job 42, 10 to 16, the Lord had a request to pray to his friends, uh, to gather your, your three friends and pray to them. And Job had fulfilled that request. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. And he gave him twice as much as he originally had. All of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before he came, uh, they ate with him in his house. They comforted him. They consoled him over all the trouble that the Lord had brought him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. So now that Job has found his way, God is bringing things back into his life. Every, everybody that Job had lost, God is kind of bringing back. Everyone has seen that Job is he's finding his way. He's coming back. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life much more abundantly than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep. At the beginning, before all of this, Job only had 7,000. Now he had 14,000, double the wealth. He had 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had another seven sons and three daughters. So the first daughter he named Jemimiah, the second one Keziah, and the third one uh, Karen. Nowhere in all of the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. So not only did he restore Job's kids as well, he gave him daughters that no one else can compare to. That is something to be proud about. That I, in all of the land, I have the most beautiful daughters. You've really restored everything back to me and much more. In all of that, their father... Uh, Job, he also granted them an inheritance along with the brothers as well. After this, Job lived 140 years, an additional 140 years. He lived a long, long life. He went through a lot. He was able to see his children and their children all the way to the fourth generation. So he lived a long enough, a long enough life to see his new kids, them have kids, and then those kids have kids, and then those kids have kids. That's a very long life. Eventually, once Job died as an old man, he lived of a full amount of years. And so Job died an old man and full of years. He 
lived a long life. Not all of it was good, but he lived a full life once everything was restored. So to wrap up all of that, I want to say that there is the importance in unity in prayer. In that sense, if Elihu did not come and speak to Job, if he didn't give him that guidance, if he did not empathize with him, but at the same time give him wise counsel, give him sound advice, who knows exactly if Job would have found his way unless the Lord spoke to him directly as he did. In that same sense, when we're praying, it's important that we also pray together. Because sometimes we need the extra person and the extra person there, 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 there. We need to be one when we're praying about situations. If you have something going on in your life, don't feel that you need to take it all up on yourself. Don't feel that you have to just stay only in your prayer closet by yourself seven days a week by yourself and just pray about it. But call people. Get your friends. If they care about you, they're going to sit and they're going to pray with you. Get some people to help you. Matthew 18, verse 19 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you, two or more of you on earth agree about anything that they ask for, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. When two of us or three of us come together in agreement, anything that we are praying about, the Lord will do. There's a power in, in praying in unity. And just going off of what Pastor Wayne has been teaching and implementing these past few weeks is us uh, taking that step forward in uh, coming out on the Saturday's prayer meeting and physically coming together. There's one thing about praying over Zoom, but then there's just only so much communication because very easily you leave a door for distractions because you're still at home, you're in your own space. And I'm just going to turn on the TV in the background. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, I got to chill. Go check the stove if it's still on in the middle of a prayer meeting. You can do all that. But when we come together physically, we can hold hands and we can pray. There's power in that. When we lift up our requests together and we agree on it, there's power. If one of us is sick, gather people and pray for the person because they need it one of us is going through something, gather people to pray about it, to cast it away. God gave us this power, and sometimes we just do not use it. He gave us the ability to come together and pray earnestly to him. We have so much privileges and rights that God gave us that sometimes we just do not use. We just leave it on the shelf to collect dust. But use the authority that God gave you. All of this, I'm just saying, there's power in us being together. And it's simply as just youth coming out together, um, just, just, yeah, just coming out together for youth. Having kids involved together goes a long way. Me, myself, I never grew, every now and then, I had youth groups that I was a part of, but I was never really involved in a home youth group. Uh, I never had that stability. And I can see the importance in it. 
thankfully, I've always, I've grown up in a very loving and Christian home that it didn't take away too much from me from not being involved. But I do see the importance of youth growing up together in a community together because we need each other. For a lot of us that will be coming out of high school, going into college, and if you're not involved in a youth group, it's, it's so easily you can be swayed by the world and everything they got going on. If you're not grounded yourself, so easily words and temptations and things can come that can sway you. But when you have one or two or three of, of your friends gathered in Christ, when you have a community of people that are with you every step of the way, a community of people that pray for you, that pray with you, everything that you see going on, everything is kind of just like a wind. It just blows past you. It hits you, but it won't affect you because you're built on a solid rock. You're built on a solid foundation. So there's power in that. Having your kids in youth, joining groups, just being involved with one another. We have to love one another. I'm still taking time to know everybody by name, and I'm getting there. I'm really getting there. But that's just on me to get more involved and get to know each and every one of you. Because the fact, that the fact of the matter is, you guys are my church family. I have to be involved. Your problems are not my problems. I have to pray for you, especially with the role that I have. I have to be there to support you more than ever. And it's not just because I'm a pastor that I do that, but it's because that I'm your brother in Christ, that we're believers, that we're ambassadors, that we have to do that for each other. So not because I'm a pastor, I'm just going to pray for you. I have to do that regardless of my role because I care about you because we're a church family. So I just want this to be a lesson to just kind of bring us all together. I like to bring the band up as well. I want this to be a lesson to just kind of bring us all together, that there's unity in prayer. Whatever it is that you have on your mind, whatever it is that you're thinking about, if you're going through things right now, if you have struggles, you have things going on in your life, you don't have to go into too much detail, of course. Lift it up to those that care about you. Lift it up to your pastor. Lift it up to somebody that you're close with. Be free to let those uh, requests be known onto them. Tell them, I need, I need help. I need prayer. Can you pray with me? Pastor Wayne, he sees that in a way we're kind of stuck and we're looking for something and we're just not hitting it. And it all starts in us being on the same accord. You can't have one person wanting this and the other person is not on the same page. And if Pastor Wayne has the vision of where we're going and, and what it is that we need we have to be on board. Of course, if you agree, we have to be on board. And we got to pray about it together. So, if you have availability, come out on a Saturday, come pray. Even if it's not that, but just taking time to get to know one another. Taking time to simply just creating relationship, creating friendship with one another. You never know what somebody is going through in their life until you talk to them until you seriously talk to them. 
So many of us, we need prayer partners. More than, you can never have too many prayer partners. You can never have too many. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.